Let's go to the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 6, as well as 1 Peter and 2 Peter. The Word of God last night, so rich. Thank you, Brother Sutton. How many were blessed? Say amen. Then this morning, Brother Booker, I want my thinking to be changed. And then this afternoon, Brother Godwin took my heart out, stomped on it, tore it into little pieces, and then handed it back to me. And I want to be different. How about you? Before I read my text, I want to say, I don't know if I've ever approached a sermon at a meeting like this, quite like this. I'm really not interested in revival right now. I'm not interested in the finances for next week's mortgage payment. I'm not interested in how high we can jump or shout tonight. In fact, if we could all just take our hats off of the respective roles and callings that we have. I'm not going to preach to preachers. I'm not going to preach to pastors. I'm preaching to the family tonight. Because before we're pastors and before we're preachers, before we're Bible study teachers and Sunday school teachers and bus captains and choir members, we are first moms and dads and sons and daughters. And that's where my attention is tonight. I will do my best to move quickly, but... I do want the Holy Ghost to touch us. Genesis chapter 6 and verse number 1. And it came to pass when men began to multiply upon the face of the earth and daughters were born unto them. That the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair and they took them wives of all which they chose. The Lord said my spirit shall not always strive with man for that he is, he also is flesh. His days shall be a hundred and twenty years. There were giants in the earth in those days, and also after that, when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, they bare children. The same became mighty men, which were of old men of renown. God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. It repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man, beast, creeping thing, fowls, for it repented me that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Verse 12, And God looked upon the earth, behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. God said unto Noah, the end of all flesh is come before me. The earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make thee an ark of gopher wood. Room shalt thou make in the ark and shalt pitch it within and without with pitch. And this is the fashion which thou shalt make it of. I want you to turn now quickly to 1 Peter chapter 3, a little more clarity to this well-known story in verse number 19. If you're there, say amen. By which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison, 
which sometime were disobedient, when once the long suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was a preparing, wherein few is, eight souls were saved by water. Turn a couple of pages over to Second Peter, two more verses, verse number four of chapter two. Second Peter chapter two and verse four. For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment, and spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly. A simple title to an old story. Noah built an ark. Put your Bible down and ask God to touch you in the last portion of this service tonight. God, I ask you to move today. I know that we've heard from you. Many of us are weary in our body. It's late. But God, I ask that the power of the Holy Ghost would fill this tabernacle. Anoint my mind. Anoint my mouth. Anoint our hearts to receive your word. Everybody say in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. You may be seated. This is probably the first story that we learn in Sunday school. Probably the first memories that we have from the church nursery. It has been researched that this is in fact our children's favorite Bible story. It has the adventure of an ocean voyage and something like a camp out at the zoo. It's quite amazing, but in reality, how did our kids fall in love with such a gruesome story? We think of it as cute boats and cute animals, but in actuality, it was more attuned to Hiroshima. In the aftermath of 9-11 in Midtown Manhattan. What was the smell? What were the sounds of dead, bloated bodies of animals and human flesh floating upon the deep? But somehow it still remains our children's favorite story. In fact, everyone knows this story from Bill Cosby's Do You Know How to Tread Water to Mr. Sting's Rocksteady. I guess it's safe to say that Noah and his ark have been deeply embedded even into our culture. But let me remind you today that this is not a fairy tale. The story of Noah and the ark is not just a story for children. Many years ago, there was a great scientist by the name of Michael Faraday who was observed one evening in his lab reading what was to be known as the story of Noah and the ark. They saw him with tears running down his face. One of his co-workers approached him and said, Mr. Faraday, are you feeling ill? He said, no, I'm just simply crying because I wish people believed this story. Mr. Faraday, I wasn't there that day. But I want to say loud and clear, I still believe the story of Noah and the ark. 
In case there's any doubt, do your homework in every branch of human, of the whole human race, you will find a tradition somewhere. No matter what culture, no matter what continent, you will find the tradition of a great deluge of judgment that would destroy the earth and all mankind. Whether you want to admit it or not, it is a real part of our human history. From the epic of Gilgamesh to the Hawaiian Nu'u, around the globe, even to the towers of the Aztecs that have their, their birthings all the way back beyond the pyramids to the original tower of Nimrod. All of these histories, Anglo to Africa to the Polynesian islands, there is someone that handed down a story of water judgment upon the planet. For those of you from China, you are well aware that the word for flood is made up of three symbols. The first one being a number eight, the second one being the mouths of people, and number three, the sign of a boat. Your word for flood is the picture of eight mouths in a boat. Don't tell me that it didn't happen. Time does not allow us tonight to cover the myriad of archaeological and geological as well as historical proofs of this great flood. But let's just suffice it to say that the intense study of ancient time reveals to us proof of a litany of the catastrophic things that happened to the blue planet. Flooding now we see silt layers deep into the earth. We are now finding proof, scientists, of a great glacial at the end of some supposed ice age. Evidence of earthquakes that rocked this planet. Tidal waves that could only be the answer to the data that is upon the soil. Discovering these great clues from gigantic shifts of tectonic plates. Our world was rocked by the flood. It really happened. Somebody said, well, that's cool. But why are you preaching all of that? At no limit. Because it's pretty important. What about the world? Because God's word said as it was. In the days of Noah. Let's let's look at the flood. If scripture tells us that there is similarity. Then let's. Take it for a moment. The world in the days prior to the flood had become completely corrupt. Immorality and perversion were raging. Gross sin. The gross violation of the law of marriage. Sound familiar? Somewhat, I'm sure, a redefining of what God intended marriage to be. And one of the early characters we meet was a guy by the name of Lamech. He was a polygamist. He had rearranged what marriage was along with everyone else. And he married Ada and Zeah. And, and here it was. And we could preach about them. Her name meant ornament. The other meant shade. So here was a whole thing that's going on. Violence is covering the earth, the Nephilim and the Gibberine and on the brute force of the ruling systems of the day and uh, 
about debauchery and uh, domination by evil spirits and giants are now rolling through the countryside and perversion is being birthed with all kinds of strange fleshly mystical things to which I don't have answers except to say it was a terrible time five chapters earlier God had looked at his world and said it's good but just the turn of a page and now He's repenting that he ever made man. Humanity is only in its second generation to commit murder. But by the seventh generation, Lamech is already boasting that if Cain got sevenfold vengeance, then I'll murder and I'll get 70 plus seven to my vengeance. So we move from an act of anger to now we're bragging about how evil we have become. The scripture sadly stated that God regretted that he had made man. There was sadness, there was grief in the heart of God. And thus began the withdrawal of God's spirit from the people on the planet. 6 and 3, he said, we read in our text, My spirit shall not always strive with man. Kiel translates verse 3 of chapter 6 this way. I will not allow the Ruach Elohim or the Holy Ghost to dwell in them. Tuck's commentary went a step further and said, I shall not humble my spirit by dwelling in such. It's just too low. I don't understand the depth of what the flood is except to say there is indication that had the flood not come then Pentecost would have never got here because humanity had just gotten too low that God said I'll never subjugate my spirit into that you follow the story he went from calling man until at the end he's simply calling it flesh Man is now moved beyond feeling. God would no longer attempt to restrain them. I feel the Holy Ghost right now. Man was totally corrupt. Man was totally depraved. And every imagination was only evil. Continually, the Bible said, notice the redundancy of the writer. Every imagination, only evil, continually. Mankind had become so corrupt. That word corrupt seems to indicate that she destroyed herself like a star imploding, a dying star imploding upon herself. The world was caving in as God's spirit was removed. God would no longer restrain such a perverse place. So it would be returned back to the dark, formless matrix from which it sprang forth. Job said that the morning stars sang at its creation. Job, if that's true, then I'm sure they wept as judgment began to fall. Genesis chapter 7 and verse 11. All of the fountains of the great deep were broken up and the windows of heaven were opened. This was God's response to a perverted world. It was a description of God's hand removed. Fissures in the earth, plates shifting, open soil and hell exposed. 
spewing forth hot mantle and molten lava mixed with the rain and the water of the sea begins to move into the atmosphere turn into boiling steam and water and rain and the earth becomes a cauldron of judgment in the midst of such corruption there was one man he was seen as a righteous man as opposed to the culture around him. Noah was a man who was not concerned with cultural acceptance. As the Archbishop of Constantinople said so many years ago of Noah, I quote, For there is no benefit of praise from those who are condemned to death. He was not interested in fitting in in his neighborhood. He was not interested in making his message join with the message of the neighborhood priest to some strange God. Because what good is acceptance from someone who's about to die? This was one man that decided I would be accountable to my God and not to my neighbor. One man would stand as the counterpoint to human wickedness. The Bible said that Noah found grace. It indicates that somewhere he started searching for it. He didn't stumble on grace. He didn't get it as a birthday present. But some morning he got up and looked around and everything was wrong and everything was corrupt and everything was going to hell. But he said, I got to find God's favor. I got to find grace. And Noah found grace in the sight of the Lord. He was dissatisfied with the carnality around him and went in search for grace. Noah is God's answer to perversion. Noah is God's answer to demonic spirits and strongholds. Noah is simply God's sentence that evil doesn't get the last word. For the very first time, grace finds a tongue to express a name. Noah was a man of God. Scripture declares that he was a just man, a perfect man. Peter called him a preacher of righteousness. There was some strange mystical connection that I don't understand of Noah. There was a prophetic dimension to this man of God. For all of you Bible scholars, let's digress for just a moment. Adam died in the 56th year of Lamech. That was Noah's father. Adam died in the 56th year of Noah's father. You do your little genealogy study in your, your, your daily manna that seems so boring. There's a lot of power in those begets. 
Did you know that Adam is the first birth recorded after the death of Adam? Can I propose to you tonight that Noah was a type of Christ? He was in fact the second Adam. Let me show you. Adam, number one, lost favor of God. Adam lost it, but Noah found grace in the eyes of God. Adam was surrounded by holiness and chose sin. But Noah, surrounded by sin, chose holiness. Adam, number one, did the one thing he was not supposed to do. But Adam, number two, did all that the Lord commanded. Adam, number one, was led into sin by his wife. But Adam, number two, took his wife by the hand and said, we're going on to an ark of salvation. I'm preaching to you tonight that Noah found grace in the eyes of God. Simeon would hold a little baby and say, this child is set for the rise and fall of many. Similar to a remark that Lamech said, he said, this one is going to bring relief. We got so bad, we need some help. There was a divine destiny upon this character, Noah. But Noah built an ark. The Genesis account of the flood is filled with all kinds of supernatural proportions and miraculous events. There are no less than eight miracles in the flood or the ark process. The hand of God, we won't take the time to mention those. It's an interesting study. Just look at the miraculous portions of this story. But as I was studying, I didn't find any miracle in building the ark. I mean, I found miracles of animals showing up and voices of God speaking. But when it came to the ark, there was no miracle. The ark was divinely designed, but it was built by human hands. God, listen carefully tonight. God did not provide the ark. The ark was built by the man that found grace. The ark was not made of heavenly material. The ark was made of earthly material. It was made according to earthly measurements. The cubic of a man. It was a divine pattern, but it was worked out. It was established and it was completed by human hands. It was a redemption plan put into the hands of humanity. The entire future of the world and the human race was put into the hands of a man. He had to take care to build it right. Noah, if the world is going to be saved, you better pay close attention to the pattern. Because there's not going to be any angels on the scaffold with you. 
There's not going to be divine spirit floating through the upper chambers. If the world is to survive, you better pay close attention to the details. How do you build a boat to survive what the whole world couldn't? 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, 45 feet tall. How do you do it? Number one, God established the borders. Recently, a world-class ship research center in Criso, Korea, tested the biblical version of the ark against 12 different leading ocean liner hulls. And not one of them could outperform the biblical description of the ark. They concluded that the boat described in Scripture could easily have handled broadside waves of 150 feet tall. They determined that it was cleverly balanced. If it had been a few feet taller, it would have capsized. Had it been a few feet longer, it would have broken in half. Had it been shorter, it would have made the ride impossible. We could take time and talk about all of those things, but one little phrase. The ark moved about on the surface, the Bible said in Genesis 7 and 18. It moved about on the face of the waters. It had to be so followed to the pattern because this was not going to be a stagnant thing. This was going to be a boat that had to be able to move on top of a changing world. It was not a rigid thing. It was something that had to be followed specifically that could handle whatever it had to face. I'm telling you today, this church that I'm in is able to handle a culture 2,000 years ago, 100 years ago, or 500 years from now. This thing is able to handle the storm. The point I'm making is that it was a big deal to build a boat. Saving the world is not a walk in the park. And it's sure not a summer sea cruise. If you're going to be a parent, hear me tonight. You've only got one shot. Noah... It's coming down to eight people and one boat that you got to build with your hands. You better get it right. There's not going to be any rewind button or reset to push. You got one shot to save the world. It took Noah 120 years. If I can, everybody else has been talking about changing our thinking and hitting their head. Can I change your thinking tonight? When you leave here, I don't want you to ever think of the ark as this little story about some barbaric, uneducated simpleton. I I want you to understand, to build an ark to save the world is a big deal. This wasn't a little backwoods operation. 
was from the same time period where towers were built to heaven. So much for the uneducated folks that don't know how to do anything. I mean, they were going to build a tower to heaven just a few years later. And God said they could have got it done. Pyramids and towers and the offspring of those that died in the flood, Tubal-Cain and Jabal, these, these were the people that invented weapons and metallurgy and so on. These were people that understood metal and wood. So, so get rid of your idea that Noah's some little backwoods redneck that don't know how to do anything. Well, that's why it took so long, 120 years, you know, he, it's just him and his two little boys. And, you know, they're, they're just trying to make their way through the three boys. And mama's bringing them a, 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 an egg sandwich every afternoon. Hey, I want to tell you, this was a big deal. To save the world, it's going to be a big deal. 120 years was how long it took to build the ark to get everything ready. How many fields did they have to plant and harvest? How much money had to be raised to buy supplies? How many crews did Noah have to hire? Noah, do you know anything about shipbuilding? Where can you learn? How many hours are you studying? Building the ark to save the world was more than arranging timber. 16 to 40,000 animals depending on which commentaries you read. Different animals. Are you a veterinarian? I mean, you, we've made it so mystical that the holy anointing comes in, the ark is built from this redneck guy that don't have a clue, and all these animals start coming. Hey, he was in a boat for a year with a bunch of animals. My God, I had seven horses and about lost my mind. How do you take care of an elephant? Where do you put the aardvark? How much do you feed to keep the horse from twisting a gut? I'm changing your thinking right now. This is, this is not some ill-prepared man that doesn't know anything. It took 120 years to figure it all out. You see, I'm afraid some of us are in this save the world mentality and we're just sitting on the pew thinking everything's just going to drop down as angels descend. I want to tell you, there's a whole lot of work. There's a whole lot of study. There's a whole lot of dedication to get an ark built. If you're going to save the world, Noah, you got to get a book. you got to get a pencil. you got to bend your knee. you got to get up and be faithful every day, even if it takes you 120 years. Think of all the understanding it took and all of the organization. Building the ark was more than just Arranging wood to float through the storms of life. There's a lot to this ark business. 120 years. Would you say that with me? 120 years. Tell you never say that's a long time. 
in 20 years. Noah receives a word from God to build an ark in chapter 6, verses 17 and 18. Notice what God tells him. You're going to build an ark to save you, your wife, your sons, and your sons' wives. Mind the book? Mind the book? You're, you're going to build an ark. I told you I'm not interested in revival. I'm talking about our family. I'm not interested in saving Sacramento right now. I'm interested in saving Sheila, Boston, and London. You're going to build an ark to save you, your wife, your sons, and your son's wife. Everybody say 120 years. Put it up on the screen, Genesis chapter 5 and verse 32. I think I gave you that one. And Noah was 500 years old, and Noah begat Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Everybody say 500 years. Go to Genesis chapter 7 and verse 6. Follow with me. And Noah was 600 years old when the flood of waters was upon the earth. Go to Genesis chapter 11 verse 10. These are the generations of Shem. Shem was a hundred years old and beget some weird dude. Two years after the flood. The ark journey, the Bible tells us, you do the math, lasted 375 days. Shem, the eldest son, was born 23 years after God told Noah to build an ark. Noah, I want you to build an ark for your sons and their wives. I will establish my covenant and thou shalt come into the ark thou and thy sons and thy wife and thy son's wife I'm going to save your sons and your son's wives do you get that? 23 years before Shem was ever born Noah went to work God's going to save my boys And I don't even have boys yet. God's going to save my daughter-in-law. And I don't even have one yet. I'm telling you it's a big deal to save the world. It's a big deal to save your family. You're not just going to casually go through life and your family ride out the storm. Somebody's got to get a plan. Somebody's got to get a pattern. Somebody's got to get a word from God. Even before you give birth to that baby, you got to get a covenant that God's going to save your baby. Noah. I'm going to destroy this planet. I'm going to destroy all flesh. But I'm going to deliver you. And I'm going to deliver your sons that are not even born yet. Before your boys are ever born, Noah, you better get this thing together. 
before they ever take their first steps, before they ever get to the first day of school, before they ever walk into that high school classroom, before they take their first day, you better have begun this process and poured it into those boys because one day there's a storm coming. One day the ark's going to close up. And if they're not on that boat with you, the world will be lost. I don't find anywhere in scripture where God spoke to Ham, Sham, or Japheth, but I see where God spoke to a daddy. God may not ever speak to your child, but daddy and mama, you better get it enough where you can save your children if God never speaks to them. The hope of the world is not no limits. The hope of the world is not even this building or yours. The hope of the world is the family. Noah, the only hope for the world is your boys. So you're going to have to build a boat. And you better make sure that while you're building that boat, your boys are raised right. And you better make sure that those boys believe everything I've told you. Noah, I know they're not even here yet, but... There's going to be some friends that make fun of them. They're going to grow up in a neighborhood where they're going to talk about you. You. I wonder how many nights those teenage boys came into the bedroom and sat on the bed and cried. Why does my daddy have to be so weird? Why couldn't I be born down the street? I mean, nobody else has got one of these stupid boats in the front yard. in high school dresses this way. Nobody else in town goes to church like we do. Nobody else doesn't watch American Idol. Nobody, my God, why did I have to be born here? My, why does my daddy have to, hey, I want to tell you, come on, child of God, you better understand, if the world's going to be saved, it's going to be because your kids understand what God told daddy is the only thing that's going to survive. But dad, how many nights did Noah walk into those bedrooms? Say, son, I understand. 
How many times did Noah's wife go in and say a prayer to Jehovah? Help my boys. How many times did Noah have to encourage his boys? My God, and we got fathers that claim to be children of God, and you never affirm or strengthen your children. You think your kid's just going to wander into being God's kid? My God, the greatest example of father and son was Christ. And at his baptism, before he ever did anything, God took the time to say, This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Some of you fathers that think keeping your child live from living for God is you've never affirmed them. You've never been there for them. You've never reached out. Hey, the hope of the world is that son you're raising. It's that daughter in your house. You better understand the only hope of the apostolic church is a father and mother that will hand it to a next generation. God never spoke that I can find to those boys. So Noah, you're going to have to be a faithful father. Those kids are going to go through some hard times and some ridicule. and They're not going to understand because they're not as old as you. And you're going to be frustrated and you're going to be busy on the ark and you're going to be busy studying your veterinary degree and you're going to be busy learning how to build ships and make sure it doesn't broach in the waves. You're going to spend all that time going back to the blueprint. But while you're working, remember it ain't about you, Noah. It's about your children. Because Noah, when you come off that boat, there ain't going to be no more kids for you. It's going to be in their hands to recreate the world. How many times did he have to go back and say, Son, I I noticed you had your eye on so-and-so at school yesterday. She's probably not the one, son. Well, Dad, she's beautiful. I, I, I know. But son, we're a covenant people. And you know what I preach. And you know that this boat is the only hope. And before you get too involved with her, son, you need to ask yourself, is she willing to get on the boat with you? I've told it to our young people. Louisiana camp meeting one year, I had been out on a date with a beautiful girl. I don't know how my dad knew. He didn't know her name. He didn't know who she was. I went to that little white brick cabin at the end of that little dirt road, made a left, come in, and my dad was sitting on the little couch in the little white brick cabin 
And he said, were you with that dark-haired girl that I saw you talking to? I said, yeah. He said, son, don't you ever even look at her again. Do you understand me? I was 18 years old. And there wasn't one effeminate bone in my body, I can tell you that. I didn't understand it. But I had sense enough to know one thing. I'm supposed to obey. I also remember another night about two o'clock in the morning. I had the attic bedroom on the other side over the kitchen. And whenever my dad would want me, he'd hit the wall. And I come down, and it was a holiday weekend where we'd had a Christmas banquet. And I had fallen in love with a young lady from Sacramento. And she had come to meet my family. And I got cold feet. And so I started doing the crawfish to get out there. And my dad started beating on the wall. I said, sir, he said, get down here right now. I'm 21 years old. And when I come around the corner of that couch, there sat my wife now. And my dad said, you sit down right there. I didn't know what was going on. And he looked at me, he said, do you love that girl? Yeah. Well, then why are you doing all this stuff and messing with her emotions? Oh, 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 oh. I didn't know if, I didn't know what had happened. I've been sound asleep. And he said, this is a godly girl, this is a good girl, and she's everything you've told me about. And he said, you either make a decision, you're either marrying her right now, or you're not. No more games. I said, I think I'll follow through. You know what? Because somewhere, Noah got a glimpse. He said, that one won't work, but that one will. And I had the sense enough to listen to a father that knew more than I did. I'm telling you, church, mom and dad, kids, you got to understand, if we're going to save the world, we all got to get on the boat. I'm almost done. Musicians, come. Getting your family through the flood is not an overnight accomplishment. It's going to take more than no limits. It's going to take more than a youth camp. It's going to take more than a youth pastor. It's going to take a mom and a dad. 
that love so deeply that will stay up late that will pray that will encourage that will support you see I hate it I don't understand it I hate it I hate it I hate it the the world my kids are growing up in I hate it my kids don't know what it's like to leave the house on a bicycle at 8 in the morning and not come back till 10 at night and know every kid on the block and every man man and woman on the block and even two streets over my God our kids don't even know the people they live next door to I hate it and if you think it's bad today I wonder what your neighborhood will look like 10 years from now. Your little five-year-old tonight, what's her school going to look like in the 10th grade? I'm sure you followed the news. The kidnapped capital of the world is Mexico City. Second is Phoenix, Arizona. Last year reported 369 kidnappings here in the United States. I listened last week as leading law enforcement officials in the state of Texas are preparing for the total collapse of the Mexican government. Already the drug cartel has forced the resignation of the mayor of Juarez and now the sheriff has moved his family to El Paso you say that's across the border well you may not be concerned but homeland security is drug cartels and now 37 37 terrorist training camps on American soil. 37. Gun sales are up 41% since November. The state of Florida just issued gun production is up 100% in the state of Florida. I listened to FBI officials last week as they are now preparing what is called the Bubba effect. Because the latest statistics show that Americans, 47%, no longer trust the government. And the world's going to back into groups. And the Bible said, in the last days, nation against nation, original ethnos versus ethnos. How much will the dollar be worth? Oh, marriage will be redefined. Homosexuality will be more than just Hollywood's agenda. It will be the norm. 
And as in the, st- the country of Canada already, to preach against homosexuality will be a hate crime. Your kids may see their pastor arrested. Brother Young, are you a doomsdayer? As it was in the days of Noah, I'm not preaching a fairy tale. I'm preaching to every young person. If anybody ought to fall in love with Jesus, it ought to be you. Because your world's about to get crazy. It's not going to get better. But somebody's got to fall in love with this message or you'll never make it on the ark. The further a nation moves away from God, the more it loses its weight. Parents, I ask you as we all stand, what kind of boat are you building? Are you really following the pattern? How much time have you spent on the boat? Noah, it took 120 years. How long has it taken you? First Peter chapter 3 and 20. The long suffering of God waited in the days of Noah. It's almost like God was ready to judge the world. But Noah said, God, give me, give me one more year. I noticed Shem's been looking at the wrong girl. Give, give me a little bit more time. Ham and Japheth, they, 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 they're kind of cold. Could you wait? And the Bible said, Peter said, the long suffering. God waited. When's the last time, Daddy, you went to your knees and said, God, don't come tonight because my son's not saved. Could you hold off one more moment? i got to get my baby back in church. Or are you just expecting the boat to float? Peter would go on to say chapter 2 and verse 5 God spared not the world but saved Noah the eighth person you know what that shows me God I'm not getting on that boat until my wife's on there until my son's on there and his wife and Ham's wife and Japheth's wife and he sta- I see him standing at the door brother Smith I'm not getting on God you just hold on one more moment I need one more Sunday night I need one more message why I'm not gay if I'm the eighth you gave me a covenant and I'm not going one more step until you say my child He said, pitch it within, pitch it without. Two different words. Pitch was used on the outside. Study it for yourself. It was used on the outside for waterproofing. But it was also used on the inside. Kofor on the outside and kafer on the inside. Two different jobs. One was to keep the water out. And the pitch within was to keep the fungus from growing on the inside. Noah, 
It's not enough to build a boat to survive the storm. If your kids die from junk growing on the inside of the boat. It's not enough to have Jesus' name baptism and get a tongue-talking experience and get on an ark to make it through the storm and then get infected by something you didn't clean out on the inside. So you better take the time to not only get the doctrine right, but you better make sure it's a clean house that doesn't infect what's supposed to lead the world. The door, I'm done, I'm skipping. The door, shut in, shut out. Depends on what side of the door you're on. And to go through that door for seven days, it looked like bondage. But the moment it started raining, it felt like freedom. I'm preaching to every father and mother in this place. I'm preaching to every mother and father in this place. Your kids aren't just going to wander into their salvation. I don't know how to end this except just say, are you in a hurry to get to Friday's or to the house? to eat or get some chili or a sandwich in the, are you in a hurry for that or do you want to take some time tonight as a mom and dad and take that son or daughter and say God save my family your son may not be here your daughter may not be here but could you touch the throne of heaven and say wait wait one more moment is there a mother or father that come to the front and say, save my child. Save my family. Come on, there ought to be more coming than that. I know it's a conference and it's not your church and so you feel awkward, but my God, your kids are worth awkward. When you come down here, don't just go through some little mumbled prayer to get the preacher happy. There ought to be a voice of intercession going up right now. There ought to be a mother and father praying for a backslid child right now. There ought to be a mom and dad that's praying for a son or daughter right now. You say they're not backslidden. Well, pray some more. You need to pray for their spouse. You need to pray for children that are yet unborn. You need to pray for sons that are not yet married. You need to pray for daughter-in-law that you haven't even met yet. you got to save your family. If you're going to have grandkids that love God, you got to get your kids saved.
submit to your dad. Submit to your mom. Come on, they're just trying to save you. They just want you to get on the boat. Come on, the future of the apostolic church is in your hands. Come on, daddy. Come on, mama. The hand that rocks the cradle rules the world. Come on, pray. Pray, pray, pray. Save my children! Save my children! 